This is Hammond. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash Friendly Atheist Podcast. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's very cold where we are and very snowy. It is. And I'm going to try not to leave my house for about a week. Oh, yeah. So we live in a townhouse area. So we pay like fucking $300 a month. And the only thing we see out of it is our snow removal. And right now, it's pretty strong $300 a month to spend. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you want to start today? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Dealer's choice. All right. Let's go with this. Do you, okay. If you live in Arkansas, a very red state with a very red legislature, what would you do right now? Leave Arkansas. Not an option. Okay. Um, Build a bunker and keep weed down there. Not a bad idea. Thank you. Here's what they're actually doing. Here's a bill that just passed through the Arkansas House and Senate this week. They're very quick down there. Mm. It just awaits a governor's signature. Governor's a Republican. Cool, cool, cool. The bill, the bill would say if you are a woman looking no. to get an abortion, oh, thank you. Um, which is still technically legal in mm. the country. Um, first, you have to call a hotline established by the state and speak with someone whose only goal is to talk you out of the abortion. That's neat and fun and chill and cool yeah. and great. And, and I have no notes. A, and if you're a doctor who does not check that the woman has called the hotline before performing the abortion. You get strung up by the neck until dead. Yeah, $5,000 fine for those doctors. Um, And the guy who sponsored this bill, he's clearly not the only one who supports it, but the guy who sponsored it, his name is uh, Jim Dotson. And one of the parts of this is, well, who's setting up this hotline? It costs money to set up a hotline and have people who can answer the phone And he said, "Ah, don't worry, it'll cost like $1.2 million. Sure. And then the health department in the state is like, no, it's going to take about four to five million dollars to develop and fund the hotline and manage it for years on end. And there's no money in his bill for any of this. He just says, well, we'll just tell him to do it. Mm. And like, whatever, it's their job to figure it out. Like, and if they can't do it, it'll be breaking the law. Like, he's just putting everyone in jeopardy. That feels like a pretty big fucking swing for no positive benefit to literally anybody. Yeah, this is not a, this doesn't benefit women in any way. By the way, the law specifically says the people on the other side of the hotline answering the phone, they literally cannot help you in any way get an abortion. They can't recommend anything. They can't suggest anything. They just have to try to talk you out of it. Now, of course, a woman could call and just, I don't know, dial the number and walk away. But again, the point is it's another obstacle in the path, which is all Republicans want to do, because this guy has no desire to help people in Arkansas deal with any of the factors that tend to lead to increased abortion rates. Yeah. Also, just <clears throat> really quickly, um, I don't know why it has happened to Google Arkansas children, just to see how they're doing with like the human children that they oh, have. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, according to a 2018 survey um, from the CDC, 
Arkansas has um, one of the highest rate is has the highest rate of childhood trauma. About 60% of children have experienced at least one ACE, which is adverse childhood experiences, while the national average is 45%, which is alarming in and of itself. However, um, maybe, I don't know, I'm not a governor, but maybe I would move some of that money away from people sitting in a cubicle talking a woman out of a thing that she's already decided she wanted to do with her own body. Nope, Maybe not, move not it true. to child services would be my first. Maybe early childhood education would be good. Um, educational classes for young parents. Like I just have a list of things that could improve things for living humans. Sorry. Nope. Not a Republican. In oh. Arkansas. Not going to happen. Sorry. Yep. Well, so, that's I, I don't know if the governor is going to sign all these crazy bills. Like, the governor could just say, no, you're asking for money that we don't have instead of saying this is bad for women. But uh, well, well, really. Republicans have told me my entire life that they're the party of fiscal responsibility. So I'm yes. sure they'll do like a tax hike among the wealthiest one percent to cover this and not like, I don't know, defer money from schools or health care. Not an option. Cool. Okay, we're sticking in Arkansas because the same legislature passed another bill this week. I mean, again, state house voted on it 75 to 10 and the state Senate voted 31 to nothing. Huh? So same bill. <laughs> Here's a uh, same legislature. But this time, this other bill would turn would basically say in the case of a pandemic, you cannot shut down churches in the case of an emergency. <laughs> They want to basically allow churches to become super spreader events, you know, for the next pandemic. Okay. Here's my question now. Yeah. We're about a year into this thing. Yeah. What is their goal? Have we learned anything? No. Yeah. So like at the beginning it was COVID isn't as bad as the flu is, you know, the flu. It's not as contagious. It's not as bad. It's not real. Masks don't work. If, but masks do work, so if masks work, we can do big events. Uh-huh. We've been doing this for fucking ten and a half months. Yeah. And so at this point, they must know that COVID is an absolute real threat because we've lost a 9-11's worth of people a day for the last six months or whatever. Uh-huh. They know yeah. it's contagious no. because it spread through the White House. They saw their precious president get it. Can you explain to me what their goal is? Are they still on team COVID isn't that bad or what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's not that bad. Uh, Jesus provides immunity. Vaccines, eh, take it or leave it. That's kind of where their stance is. And basically their argument is if you're going to cre- keep grocery stores open, you can't shut down churches as well. Which, again, those are apples and oranges, not not the same same type of essential service. Uh, American Atheists pointed out that one of the the Senate Committee on State Agencies and Government Affairs, a subcommittee in the Mm -hmm. state Senate in Arkansas, is chaired by Jason Rapert. Oh, that uh, motherfucker. Yep, the future lieutenant governor of the state. And... AA pointed out, like, lawmakers showed they care more about pandering to fringe church leaders than protecting all Arkansans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, by the way, 
when they released that statement, Rapert came onto his the the Arkansas floor uh, in support of the bill, and he basically said, "American atheist represents what's wrong with America," because I guess they're trying to save lives. Uh. Atheists now, are what's wrong with America. That's a hell of a take, considering the last four years. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Now, I was wondering, like, how did Democrats, I mean, I know they're vastly outnumbered in the state legislature, but what the hell are the Democrats saying in that state? And here's one example of, uh, this is Democratic State Senator Linda Chesterfield, who voted for this bill, the Let's Make Church Super Spreader Events bill. And she said she was planning to vote for it. Um, That's, I assume that's what it's called. She said she's planning to vote for it because, quote, I think people have the right to decide whether or not they want to kill themselves. Wait. <laughs> it's about personal responsibility. I'm sorry, you said this was a Democrat who said that? That was a Democrat who said it. Jesus fucking Christ. This isn't skydiving. I don't care if you decide to do stupid, risky things. The problem with the pandemic is your, like, random people's irresponsibility is affecting everyone else. That's why it's this pandemic. Well, and here's the difference. I've been skydiving, and I would never go to a church, so they're not the same (laughs) thing. That's, that's... That's distressing to say yeah. the least. What American a- atheists, by the way, they're not trying to shut down churches. They're fine with the live streaming kind. Like they're saying that you could just do that. It keeps people safe. But if there's a rule that prevents gatherings in the event of a virus spreading, that rule should apply to everyone. A church shouldn't get an exemption because the virus doesn't care what fiction you believe in. Oh, brother. That's not strong. That also passed the Republican House and Senate in Arkansas and awaits a governor's signature. So there you go. I do. I actually have some interesting, maybe good news, I guess. Okay. Um, This one took me by surprise. Uh, I found out last night. I posted something this morning. But basically, this is almost insider baseball for atheism. I know Mm -hmm. most people won't care, but I think this is relevant. One of the largest atheist groups in the country is the American Humanist Association. We're talking uh, groups that have a solid membership and a budget that is like in the millions. Um, There aren't many of them. That is one of them. And the person who's been running the AHA for the past 15 years is Roy Speckhart. And he's been with the American Humanist Association for 20 years. So 15 running it, 20 being a part of it. He announced today that he is stepping down from the organization. Nothing bad. He said, I'll stick with it until we find a new person to replace me, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on. Um, So, I mean, I'm going to, take a point of personal privilege that's really sad i've known the guy ever since i got involved in this whatever you want to call it community um (laughs) he's one of the like solid voices of reason a person i can talk to get straight answers from like a good dude for the past 20 years for Mm me um so i'm sad to see that he's leaving just to give you a head uh just to give you a uh breakdown in case you're not familiar with him or what the group does he is the reason one of the reasons that there is a secular coalition for america lobbying group in washington dc he helped create this uh, or really helped grow this legal team at the aha which argued in front of the supreme court last year 
Mm-hmm. Um, he helped convince Representative Jared Huffman to go public with his humanism. That's some of the stuff Roy did while he was in charge of the AHA. Like it, these are things that don't get a lot of public attention, but they mm-hmm. actually do have an impact in terms of how the media and how people see atheists and non-religious people. And the AHA has also been kind of at the forefront in our movement in mm-hmm. terms of elevating voices who are not your stereotypical atheists. They have a social justice committee. They have a feminist, uh, I don't know what they call it, a caucus or a committee for the AHA as well. And in fact, this is the thing that took me by surprise because every nonprofit, they always have leadership changes here and there. Um, But this is what stood out to me as Roy is stepping down because I asked him like, why are you, why are you leaving? There's no reason. I mean, I'm sure there's some internal, whatever he has to deal with, but um, why now? Why are you leaving? And he said, "One." Of, I'm going to paraphrase for a second. One of the reasons he wanted to step down now, he doesn't know what he is doing next necessarily. Okay. Um, but he said, you know, one of the constant conversations that his organization has had over the past many years is, you know, there are, if you think of a stereotypical atheist, you think of a white male cisgender person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's almost like the universal stereotype of what an atheist is. It's very much a Richard Dawkins, Ricky Gervais type of person. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. Like, that's who you are. You can't change that. Um, So one thing he's tried to do with the AHA is try to elevate other voices within the organization. So -hmm. that's why they have those separate groups that help bring those issues to the table. But again, he's at the top of the pyramid here. He's the guy running the show. And... While there have been a lot of women who have run atheist organizations, even then, a lot of those women have been white and cis as well. And so he said, you know, it's really hard to create change when I'm the guy at the top of this pile. And as much as I want to change the uh, who's kind of the go to person in our movement, Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen if I'm the one still here. So one of the things he said in a statement is that I've just, I'm quoting you now, I've decided it's time for me to step down and make room for new leadership. It is my, it is my emphatic hope that my seat is filled with a black or brown humanist because our movement has gone too long without such diversity at the helm. And this, and this would open the door for the AHA to truly achieve its potential as a humanist and anti-racist institution. And just to be clear, that doesn't mean like white people don't apply. The position is posted on LinkedIn. It's open to anyone who wants to apply. May the best person get the job. But he's kind of sending a signal to the board like, look, if you can find someone who fits fits the profile of what you're looking for mm-hmm. and they happen to be a person of color, like mm-hmm. do it. It would yeah. be good for the movement. He doesn't control that decision. That's up to the board of directors. But he's signaling like who he hopes will replace him. Sure. So we'll see what happens. Uh, he's not going to step down officially until probably the fall after they find someone um, but I thought that's a statement I haven't heard before from someone who leaves an institution, especially an atheist institution like that. So um, interesting move, bold move. Like I'll be very, I'm, I'm sure there are names that can come to people's head of people who would be excellent leaders. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they're going to do. I hope they do something really interesting with that position because it's one of the positions that media types go to when they are looking for commentary on what do atheists think of this mm-hmm. and that. So I just want to point that out. Um, you going to throw your hat in the ring for that, bud? 
I am not moving to Washington, D.C., <laughs> but I do like the organization. Um, I wanted to bring this up. This one disturbed me a lot. This is uh, the Southern Baptist Convention has had a lot of trouble with uh, racism. <laughs> if you think of Southern Baptists, I'm pretty sure one of the stereotypes is, well, racist. Uh-huh. And one of the ways like here's the weird thing about it. The people who actually are in leadership positions uh-huh. are very much, as far as I've seen over the past couple of years, they're aware of that. And they gen- genuinely, I would, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, they genuinely want to change that because they don't want to be racist. They don't think of themselves as racist. And they, uh, at least some of them, are aware of the things that happen that are racist. And so one way that they have tried to change it is like you might have a leader at the top, but it's not the Pope. It, they, you might have a leader at the top that says, yeah, we got to be more inclusive to people of color within our organization. Uh-huh. But then your organization, like the people who cast votes on how the Southern Baptist Convention should run, include a lot of racist people, right. a lot of church <laughs> leaders around the country. So there's not much the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention can unilaterally do. He doesn't have that kind of power within the organization. So here's an example of that. Um, the there was a I won't get into the nitty gritty of like how they make decisions here, but when it comes to things like critical race theory, the idea that like maybe we should take systemic racism seriously, uh-huh, um, uh-huh, they re- uh-huh. they rejected that on a vote. Like, nope, we are not doing critical race theory in this church. No, That's no. like a liberal hoax. They're just all whiners. <laughs> And there was a uh, a black preacher, uh, his his name is Dwight McKissick, who basically said, you know what, if you guys don't want to take systemic racism seriously, you're basically telling people like me, there's no place for me in your church because you don't care about my concerns. He actually said, given the Southern Baptist Convention's history of racism, uh-huh. it is, he, quote, it is preposterous to ask African-American churches to blindly trust the convention's leaders' interpretations regarding critical race theory. Like, I know what you think it means. Uh-huh. It's not that. I know what it is because I'm black. And he's basically saying, like, don't ask me to take your word for it. You haven't earned that kind of trust. And so <laughs> one of the things he did is he announced he is leaving. Uh, he's a preacher in Arlington, Texas. He said he is leaving the Southern Baptists of Texas convention, like the state version of the SBC. And he may very well just choose to walk away from the Southern Baptist convention entirely. But he said, you know, the the ones in Texas, they want nothing to do with me, so I'm walking away. Okay, so as that is going on, after he made that announcement publicly, he got a letter at his church. And it was from a dude, his name is not important, but it's John Rutledge. He got a letter from this guy, John Rutledge, um, who has written a couple of books. He's not a leader of like some church or anything. He's a random dude, but he has written about this stuff in the past. And he was infuriated by McKissick's decision to leave the Baptist organization. Like, I want to read you some of this. Uh uh I'm uh interested. I'm, I'm just trying to make sure. Uh, we don't bleep anything in here, do we? Okay. I don't think so. I'm going to read some of this. I do hope you know. you need me to say cunt again? Because I'm happy to do that. No, that word is not in here. Oh, okay. Um, no, it's okay. He, This white guy, uh, Rutledge, he does use the word Negro a lot. Oh. 
So I'm going to read this letter. But it has not... um, I'm sorry. He basically... I'm going to... It's a long letter. In recent years, the SBC has been repenting foolishly of the sin of whiteness and has rebaptized itself as an exemplar of diversity. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. But we have a Negro convention president, a Negro candidate for the pastorate of a white church, $5 million in seminary scholarships for, and only for, Negroes, appointive positions reserved for, and elections rigged to install Negroes. But it has not been enough. For the Negro, nothing is ever enough. Oh, yikes. Um, Dot, dot, dot. The when response, I'm sorry, yeah. this is from 1952? Or? This is from this week. Uh, yeah. LBJ's Great Society and War on Poverty gave the Negro the keys to the U.S. Treasury. The resp- <laughs> yeah. Sorry, if yeah. LBJ couldn't, cause, couldn't solve your problems, uh-huh. I don't know what we're supposed to do. He did all that, and yet, quote, the response... <laughs> The response to which has been ingratitude and, this is all one word, give us mo! Exclamation oh, point. No. Legislation leapfrogged. M- the, like M-O apostrophe? Yeah, like, like give U.S. M-O exclamation. Like the exclamation. Spike Lee movie? Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Legislation leapfrogged the Negro over whites placing Negroes in residences that they could not otherwise afford and granting them unmerited entry into classrooms and boardrooms. Yet they remain savages. They defile and diminish every arena in which they parade, seeking seeking another white bastion to badger and beleaguer. They invaded the church. Oh, okay. He got carried away in the alliteration there. Yeah. Uh, Dot, dot, dot. But those are beyond the Negroes' intellectual capacities. Like two-year-olds, they know only how to whine and throw tantrums. The SBC should bid them goodbye and good riddance. Cordially, John (laughs) B. Rutledge. Oh, well, as long as he's cordial. That's a real one. (laughs) That I... Oh, my God. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Usually... Oh, man, usually the racism is more subtle than that, but he's definitely just saying the quiet part out loud. Like, oh, that's yeah. say nothing different than any, any like, congressional person who doesn't want to do anything about race. They're like, whatever, they're just whiny assholes. Like, what's the, it's their problem, not me. I, uh-huh. you know, capitalism for thee, socialism for me. Like, it's, wow, wow, that yeah. was... So deeply racist, like so completely racist. Now, the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention reacted basically as you just did. Like, holy hell, like, what is wrong with this dude? Is what he said actually offends me. They are just offended that he said the quiet part out loud again. Yeah, now I should say, McKissick. You only say that when black people aren't around. You can't in public. You say it in the country club like all the rest of us. I'm actually surprised he went with that version of the word. I'm very um, relieved because I do not know how he would have tap danced around that. <laughs> yeah. Reverend McKissick, the guy who received that letter, he heard what the SBC leaders said, which is like, holy hell, this guy is friggin' racist. And like, th- this is unacceptable. This is awful. Uh, obviously, we don't stand with this guy. Obviously. Not even <laughs> with uh, track record. Yeah. 
forget the language. We don't stand with the sentiment either. It's awful. And McKissick said he genuinely appreciated that response from the SBC leaders. Like he's way nicer about this than he does. He needs to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But like one thing that I saw, there's a theologian, Kyle James Howard, who is, I believe also Southern Baptist. He's a black Christian. And he said, like, if you're surprised by the date, of this letter that it was written, I believe dated the end of January. Um, if you're surprised by that, you haven't been listening to black Christians within the church. Cause that is oh, yeah. nothing new. Yeah. And he also said like, don't be surprised when black people walk away from the church. And by the way, this theologian added, this is why the Southern Baptist convention should not dismiss the accounts of black pastors. Wow. And so really the Southern Baptist convention needs to figure out what do you want to do? Do you want to accommodate uh, black preachers like Reverend McKissick or the racists like this Rutledge dude. And right. according to a lot of these black preachers, they've made the decision. They've, they're siding with the racist dude, whether, <laughs> regardless of what they're saying out loud. It's like Republicans are the Q party and the Trump party, no matter what they pretend to say to the contrary, we know how you vote. We know what you do. We know what you say behind closed doors. Well, it's, so, I'm seeing this as being really similar to what's happening in the GOP, that they're all hemorrhaging voters and or, you know, participants because in no small part because of this kind of of uh, rhetoric. But they are not doing anything. Literally, what they're doing is like we're being really racist and we're losing a lot of all almost all black people. A lot of white people, because they also don't like racism for some reason, even though it doesn't personally affect them. I don't know what their empathy problem is. Mm -hmm. But we are not going to do anything to change internally to maybe welcome these people back or try to right this ship. What we're going to do is complain that nobody wants to hang out with us anymore as if that, like, that's the real tragedy of all this. Because the same thing's happened in the GOP. They're like, how come... Like they're trying to expand their vote, you know, their voting base and they're doing okay in like Florida with like the Cuban vote. But in general, it's like, well, bud, you can't just have racist monsters up there and then ask people of color or people who care about people of color to ignore that and look beyond the rhetoric and see they're also racist policies. I was, I was surprised. I'm not surprised, but more people voted to keep Marjorie Taylor green on her committees. The Q conspirator then voted to say Liz Cheney who voted for impeachment or I'm sorry, voted to, uh, yeah, voted for impeachment. Um, voted to keep her in party leadership. Like more people were supportive of Green. Wow, that's bleak. Is what I'm going to say. That's bleak stuff. Like when Liz Cheney is too far to the left for you. Right. <laughs> well, because that's the thing that they. The funny thing about what's going on in politics on like a high level thing. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, like, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but it seems to me like our quote unquote like fringe, and I'm using big square quotes with this are the socialist leftist crowd and we are collectively as Democrats shifting a little more to the left. Like obviously Biden's really centrist, but like Mm -hmm. these leftist policies have become within an election cycle have gone from radical to just what we do. I'm thinking, Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking like environmental stuff and things like that. Whereas the right, they have these like, I mean, they're kind of doing the same thing, right? But they're 
version of radicalism are the murder Taylor greens who did she call for the death of Nancy Pelosi? What was that all about? Yeah. She supposedly joked about, ha ha, let's put a bullet in her brain sort of thing. Oh, classic humor. That's one mm-hmm. of my favorite punchlines. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And they're kind of, I guess they're just drifting away. That wasn't an original observation. It's just, it's just a fucking, and they're just like abandoning their center for the far right. Like you said, if Liz Cheney, who is not an ally, I would argue is part of the left for them. I'm not sure how they're going to keep moving forward unless they can elect a shit ton of Marjorie Taylor Greens is, which they will. Yeah. She is the future of their party. It's not, I mean, we're in Illinois. Guys like Adam Kinzinger, who is a Republican from downstate, who has been vocal against uh, Trump now and has been vocal against Marjorie Taylor Greene, but is also a conservative who has awful ideas and doesn't deserve support. But he's been vocal, I think, either because he knows he's not going to get reelected next time or he's just running for governor um, which again won't work because no one wants a Republican in charge in our state, no. which is great. No, um, but I like that guys powder. like him, guys like uh, Kinzinger, who actually are voices of reason, relatively speaking, within the Republican Party, are basically the anomalies right yeah. now. It's not a strong look. It is not a strong look, and it is not a good indication of what's coming in the next 10 years. Which is a roundabout way of saying Southern Baptists are still racist. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're um, going to do this flash every episode, like, are Southern Baptists still racist? <laughs> yes, is today's answer. We just need a single... We're still racist. We just need a single-serving website, like, are Southern Baptists still racist today? And every time you click on it, it's just the word yes. <laughs> is that what those are called, single-serving websites? Yep. Like All it does is the website's URL is like our Southern Baptist com, and it's just the word yes. And then okay. one day, maybe it'll change. If somebody wants to set that up for us, I will send you <laughs> multiple stickers because that's the only thing I have <laughs> to give to you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Ay, ay, ay. What a let's, spirit, huh? <laughs> let's give a shout out to our sponsor for this hey. episode. We've talked about them before, but uh, awesome book. It's all about a girl named Elle. She had a problem where she was growing up in a secular household with non-religious, in a non-religious family, but she lived in a community dominated basically by Christianity. And she wasn't discriminated against, but when she would talk to her third grade classmates about how she wasn't religious, they just didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand how you can not go to church and not pray and how you could be moral if you don't have religious leaders or a holy book to guide you along the way. And she tried to talk sense to them, tried to explain it all to them, but it wasn't easy. Again, this is when she was eight. So she would go home, tell this to her father, and they would actually talk through Uh, what they believed, how you can explain this stuff in a way that makes sense, how she can explain humanism to her classmates. And from those talks came a book called L the Humanist, which is an introduction to humanism for young readers. The book has a foreword from Daniel Dennett, and you can order that book at lthehumanist.com. It's E-L-L-E, 
lthehumanist.com. If you use the link that we'll have in the show notes or go to the website and put in the discount code friendly atheist, one word, all lowercase, you will get 10% off. So thank you to L and her family for sponsoring this episode. We appreciate it. And thank you also uh, for sending over those books. Um, Hemant and I both, I think you did too, right? I got copies yeah. of all their books and one signed by L, which is adorable, obviously. <laughs> uh, and I'm really yes. excited. I might... Um, I might take it over to my niece and nephew soon when I can, I, you know, see them. Yes. There is a story I wanted to bring up that uh, surprised me because I hadn't heard of this YouTuber, but it was a fascinating video to watch. Basically, there is a young Catholic, uh, specifically Franciscan priest named Casey Cole. Um, I would guess he's like in his early 20s, but he is a uh, priest. And basically, he he's good on YouTube. He makes a lot of videos discussing his faith, things like that. He's fairly conservative in the same ways you would expect a Catholic priest to be conservative. Mm -hmm. And so one of the videos he made not that long ago was basically one talking about abortion and not to say like for it or against it or something. He's Catholic. He opposes abortion. This is not surprising. So he made this video where basically explaining how all these uh, conservatives, social conservatives, political conservatives want anti-abortion everything, policy, uh, judges, and all of that, but they never seem to do anything that actually lowers abortion rates. Mm -hmm. He basically, I'm going to quote you from his video. Over the past decade, I have grown more and more disappointed in the so-called pro-life movement that seems to care only about one issue of life, and yet has so readily aligned itself with the economic and social issues of the Republican Party. Hmm. Um, later on, he says, getting Supreme Court justices that will possibly overturn Roe v. Wade became such a god to some that they were willing to uncritically support justices that also allow for affronts to the human family in other ways. Hmm. Yeah. And so basically he's saying, look, if you're supporting, I'm paraphrasing again here, if you're supporting a party that allows 450,000 people to die in a pandemic right. because they don't take care of things mm -hmm. or that don't do enough to address poverty or don't deal with affordable health care or any of the policies that actually lower abortion rates right, or right. ignore the environment, um, then you don't care about life. You care about everything until the birth canal. And like you don't get to call yourself pro-life if you're doing that. And again, I just want to point out, he is anti-abortion. Mm -hmm. He genuinely is pro-life and he believes all that stuff. And so he made that video and then he got all kinds of backlash for it. Before you move on to the yeah. backlash, I just want, what, what was his name again? His Cole? name is Casey Cole. Cole. Yep. Um, good for him. I mean, that's right. Save the fact that both of us are pro-choice that those are that's the rant I've done every other week for four years. Yeah, yeah, it's the exact I, same thing. They that's that's so refreshing to hear. I'm very <laughs> excited. The YouTube comment section went after him on his own video. Members of the Catholic uh, Catholicism subreddit they described him as going off the rails and disingenuous. Uh, Facebook people shared his video but called him a heretic in the process, and also. Um, they pounced on his original title because, of course, you want a video uh, thumbnail that people are going to click on. So he said, abortion is not that important. 
oh, uh, which yeah. was which was his way of trying to get people to click on it, which he admitted. Um, and I totally understand where he's coming from on that. But he's not saying like abortion is okay in his perspective. He's saying if you care about being pro-life, you got to care about all aspects of it. Right. Um, so they're like, how dare you pretend abortion is okay, which is not what he was saying. So anyway, he made a follow-up video trying to explain himself even further, which personally I think was a mistake. Like oh, you yeah. said it right the first time. You don't need to. I feel like it, that's something you taught me like when in my first blogging days, if like something got backlash, you're like, don't do not go back in and try to double down. You said what you said. It, you know, people are. Gonna yeah, say- I mean, if you were wrong, then say you were wrong. But if you were right the first time and people just don't get it, I don't think there's much reason you need to just try using different words mm-hmm. like no apologize when it's necessary in casey cole's case i don't think it was necessary but he basically reiterated his belief that abortion is quote the most disgusting thing on the face of the planet Dang. which is weird because there's there was a holocaust yeah i um, do remember that uh, yeah mm-hmm. but again mm-hmm. I, th- something he didn't address but which i think is a valid question if Joe Biden's policies, if the current Democratic Party's policies lower abortion rates, which they often do whenever mm-hmm. there's a Democratic president in charge, mm-hmm. shouldn't single issue abortion voters support that? If that's the only thing you care about, trying to decrease abortions, mm-hmm. and that happens because Democrats are focusing on the root causes that lead people to seek out abortions. Right. Um, it's not going to eradicate them. They're, they are pro-choice in name, but it would decrease the like rate. Mm-hmm. Isn't if all you care about is abortion, shouldn't you support Democrats in that case? And I think the thing we have said repeatedly, I think the thing even Casey Cole is saying here is that if that's all you care about, then you totally should care. Yeah, then you should support what Democrats are doing because Republicans are making people suffer and die through their policies. We have seen that in action. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't even a political rant he made. He's just like, my people, you are being hypocritical. Stop it. Well, and and this is, God, I'm grateful that I have um, a father who lives in Wisconsin with a bunch of other baby boomers because he can kind of give me an insight on like, what do seven-year-old white dudes who live in, on a golf course in Wisconsin really think? And that is what <laughs> he has brought up. Like my dad has brought up time and time again of like, they are, I, cause I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that people are so single-minded. And so, you know, he says that there are people he knows who are his age and not like worried about their daughters getting knocked up. Cause they're all in their thirties and forties. That is their thing is if somebody is, anti-abortion that is their single issue vote and it's their single issue that they vote for and it's so befuddling because you have like you have to decide that restricting the ability for a woman to make a choice is more important than setting up a series of circumstances that most women either don't get pregnant if they don't want to or if they do get pregnant and want to keep it have the ability to continue working, continue providing for themselves and their family. And we don't have that. Like you like fucking daycare as is as expensive as like, how much, what do you, what do you think an average of daycare a week would cost? You would it's know. A lot. Do you think somebody making minimum wage who needed to work full time could also. Oh, God, no. Yeah. So. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's not. Oh man, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. He shouldn't have made the apology video, but his no. first video was fair. Good, good for him. Have, I'm sure our endorsement isn't really going to help his his. <laughs> it really so won't. Sorry, bud. But like, good. Like, honestly, good for you. I'm skimming through his Wikipedia page. That's I'm I'm very impressed by him being able to see through the bullshit of life is sacred no matter what and understand how to like make life more sacred by by tending to it we look forward to his next video that will infuriate us at which point we will stop raising his next video is just gonna be like actually jessica and hemant (laughs) keep my name out of your mouth Uh, so Democrats did did something surprising that uh, yesterday, and because of all the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff, it didn't get any news coverage, really. Um, but basically, there was a meeting of the House Judiciary Committee, which is chaired by a Democrat because they control the House. It's chaired by Jerry Nadler. And one of the guys on the committee, one of the Republicans on the committee, is Matt Gates, who um, he's famous for being a conspiracy theorist, uh, a one-six truther, because he thinks Antifa caused the riots or something. He has a son-slash-partner something named Nestor. I don't know. It's weird. Um, I don't get how it works. But anyway, he's at the meeting, and he says, we should begin each meeting of the House Judiciary Committee by reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. And why should we do that? Why should we do that, he said? Because it's a way to make everything unified. He actually said it would be a great unifying patriotic moment. A guy who voted to overturn the election results and not certify them said we need to do something unifying and patriotic. Uh, And guess what Jerry Nadler said when he when it was his turn to speak because he controls that committee. Tell me it's unnecessary. The House begins every day with the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, we're covered by that. There's no necessity (laughs) to say the Pledge of Allegiance twice during the same day. So he's just like, let's move on to, like, real shit. Right. But the, I mean, so to be clear, he basically said, we already say the pledge. We don't need to do it twice, which is very different from saying that's a stupid idea because the pledge is dumb, which is what (laughs) I wanted to say. But uh, by the way, Nadler, I love because in 2013, he actually spoke to the Secular Coalition for America, and he was talking about his Republican colleagues who referred to our nation's supposed Judeo-Christian heritage, and he called them religious chauvinists. Oh, yeah. I love Nadler. So anyway, Nadler basically said no. The House GOP, the Judiciary GOP's Twitter account, like they have one just for their committee, their their members on the committee, they shared a clip of Gates requesting the Pledge of Allegiance and Nadler saying no, but they cut it off after he said, it's unnecessary. <laughs> he, they didn't. Uh, they didn't show the clip where he explained. We already say it. Why would we do it twice? Because <laughs> Republicans are dishonest. Um, but I do appreciate that this Republican said, "Let's just insert this Christian prayer into our meetings," and the Democrats are just like, "No, we're good." Oh, okay. It was totally. That's random. pretty wild. I loved it. Uh, okay, disturbing story, and I was waiting to to say this one because it's super disturbing. Oh, There's God. some backstory here. A guy in Germany, 
in the 1960s, when he was 11, he said he was abused by a Catholic priest. It's disturbing. We don't need to get into the details, but it was bad. Uh, he's much older now. Obviously, it's been 50 some years. The trauma has lasted. Um, and he was actually hopeful because years ago, the cardinal of the Archbishop of Cologne in Germany basically promised an independent investigation into what happened in that diocese. And he said the reports of that independent investigation would be made public. And then last year, that same archdiocese announced, yeah, we're not making this public uh, because it's, they said it's not legally watertight. Okay. And it's like, what are you trying to hide? Like, why aren't, I mean, the assumption is there are names in there, but they can't verify or something that these people committed whatever they are accused of. So they didn't want it to go public and mm -hmm. basically ruin those lives without being able to vouch for it. But there was uh, the guy, Carl uh, uh, Hauck, who uh, was leading this charge, filed mm -hmm. a lawsuit saying, like, you better make this thing public. And here's what's happened. This lawsuit is going on and the public has not seen this report but his lawyers now have access to it. And oh. someone must have leaked excerpts to news outlets oh. because the, the report's information is being made public. And what's in there is oh, very disturbing. Just died. That's sad. Oh, no. Yes. So the report, I'm going to read from the Daily Beast, which highlighted what was in some of this report. Mm -hmm. The report is the byproduct of a lawsuit alleging that orphaned boys living in these boarding houses of the Order of the Sisters of the Divine Redeemer in Germany, were sold or loaned for weeks at a time to predatory priests and businessmen in a sick rape trade. The men involved in the lawsuit say that as boys, they were denied being adopted out or <gasps> sent to foster families because selling them for rape lined the sisters' coffers for their convent of horrors. He oh, said um, the, the nuns often drugged him and delivered him to predators' apartments. Among, I'm going later in this, among the worst instances of abuse were gangbangs and orgies the young boys were forced to participate in before being returned to the convent where the Oh, God, where the nuns would then punish them for wrinkling their clothing or being covered in semen. This can't be real. This is why the church didn't want to make this public. Oh, yeah. I wonder why they come up. Yeah. With great. Uh huh. The report Holy says shit. the report says there were 175 victims, 14 or younger. And. The report doesn't actually blame the nuns for facilitating this abuse. It points a finger at, like, the system that allowed abuse to occur, which is, like, a Catholic church tool that they've used for decades now. Like, oh, yeah, it's not the fault of Pope this guy or Cardinal this guy. Mm -hmm. It's like a culture that was bad. Yeah. And so there, a version of this lawsuit, uh, the, the report, a redacted version of it may still come out in March. But again, the the bishop who now leads the archdiocese, like a newer guy, mm -hmm. basically said the abuse report was so gory, it would be too shocking to make public. He actually 
told a Catholic news agency that after reading it, he had to take a month's sabbatical to recover. Which, I mean, yes, I understand, but also you're in a position to do something about it. And, I mean, I would say most of the names, according to the article, most of the names mentioned in here, we are talking about priests who are long dead. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing in terms of justice you can really get at this point, though the victims may deserve something for their suffering. But the point is, like, just because it's too gory or too graphic or disturbing... That's all the more reason to make it public and not cover it up and Mm -hmm. hide it from people because hiding bad things is what allowed this abuse to thrive in the first place. Like the church needs to be exposed and the worse the crimes, the more urgent it is. We learn about what's happening because again, if you're a Catholic, how do you, as I'm speaking biased here, like if you want Catholics to leave the church, they apparently need to read this shit. Because nothing else is working. Apparently the sex abuse up to this point hasn't convinced Catholics to abandon the church. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? Put this out there. Let them see what their money is contributing to, historically speaking. Because I don't know what else is going to do it. At some point, some of these people need to be shaken out of their system to leave the church for good. I don't know what else is going to do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's really scary and horrible. And Christ. one more almost less disturbing Catholic story by comparison. Uh, we already knew with the Paycheck Protection Program loans in the U.S. last year, we knew that Catholic churches were among the biggest recipients, mm-hmm. according to one estimate when that information was made public. Of the 17,000 Catholic churches in the U.S., more than 12,000 applied for funding from the PPP loans, and most of them received a good chunk of money. And theoretically, this was money not for religious purposes, but to keep the lights on, pay your staff, because no one's making any money. We don't want people to gather. Right. Um, But this week, the Associated Press found that, based on new information we now know about those PPP loans, a lot of those churches were already sitting on piles of cash They did not need the money. Do you remember one of the first groups that got PPP loans we found out about was like Shake Shack or uh, the Steakhouse? And everyone the Ayn Rand Institute applied for it. That was really (laughs) the best moment of 2020. Chef's kiss right there. Yeah. (laughs) And like Shake Shack got the money and everyone got pissed off. It's like you have money. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to help mom and pop shops that can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, like, why do you need the money, Shake Shack? Right. Why do you need like millions of dollars? And, and they were so what? embarrassed. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they paid back the money because they're like, you're right, we don't need $10 million. Right. Uh, million with an M. Keep mm-hmm. that in mind. Because um, they didn't need it. It was supposed to help small businesses, not large corporations. Mm-hmm. Well, these Catholic churches, um, across the United States only collect, they sat on over 10 billion with a B 10 billion dollars in cash or short-term investments or other funds. And a lot of that money only grew over the course of the year, despite the economic downturn. Mm -hmm. The Associated Press said that even with that safety net, the 112 dioceses that have shared their financial statements collected at least $1.5 billion in taxpayer-backed aid. They didn't need the money. Mm -hmm. And again, this is later in the report. Overall, the nation's nearly 200 dioceses 
and other Catholic institutions received at least $3 billion. That makes the Roman Catholic Church perhaps the biggest beneficiary of the paycheck program. Cool. And the AP That's found definitely that, how this should go. Yeah. The Catholic recipients also got roughly twice as much as 40 of the largest, most well-known charities in America combined. So, just to be clear, what they did was not illegal, per se, because they were eligible for the funding because they are a religious nonprofit, but they were asking, what they did was unethical. They were asking for money they did not need at a time when people were suffering and Mm -hmm. struggling, and that should infuriate decent people. I doubt it'll make a dent in the news cycle, But the point is, like, if this money is supposed to help people who are struggling, the Vatican, the church, they are not suffering. I'm sure these dioceses think, like, well, we're not as rich as we used to be, but you're fine. You are sitting on piles of cash. Lower your seat. Give some of that money out. Sell a golden throne. You'll be fine. Right. So the Catholic Church took in more in PPP. I mean, I I've heard plenty of people say no religious institution should get the loan. I, I, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. You can't just say no religious group. No, you would have to say no nonprofit groups can get the loans. And that would cut out a lot of good charities. Mm-hmm. Again, my issue is not, let's just tax the church because again, I don't want to tax all nonprofits. Nonprofits are a good thing, right. but they have to be held accountable and they have to be regulated and they have to be watched over because groups like the Catholic church or the NRA or what have you, um, they will take advantage of the flexibility the government gives them. Yeah. And in this case, they took billions of dollars that were meant for people who are struggling. Again, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church doesn't care because it never cares about those people. It's the same conversation we had about the abortion issue. Right. Oh, that's all <laughs> I got for now. Um, actually, I uh, do you want to talk briefly about um, an email that we got a few days ago? Um, yeah. Okay. So this came from uh, Dawn. Um, she sent it over after our most recent episode, 359, looks like. Um, oh, we're almost at 360. That feels like a thing. Um, <laughs> does that mean anything to you? Also, Nothing. That means we, met th- we missed 350. Sorry. So anyway, um, she writes, she says she, she loves the show, um, and, but she felt that some of her comments last week were incredibly unfair. She said, quote, although I can understand the points you both made, the hyperbole leaves our side vulnerable to being dismissed. Um, so she gives a couple examples of you and I discussing Republican lawmakers um, and sort of uh, you say, I'll just give her quotes. Um, Hemant said, Quote, their, their goal, they being Republicans, their goal is to hurt. That's what Republicans stand for. And I said, I just think these people are genuinely evil. They want harm. They want to harm people for their own. I don't know. I don't understand why. And that's the reason I don't understand Republicans. It seems to me that these people just go up, want to cause harm wherever they go. And then I later called them racist, misogynistic, Nazi monsters, uh, which I, I see there's hyperbole there. Um I would, so, here's where I would distinguish. Can, here's where I, I think just, she, yeah, I'm sorry. Can I, let, let me just like bring her point to, she said, I have conservative family members, good people who would backfire hard at these comments. As a humanist, I don't believe humans are evil. Even the worst of society is not pure evil, much less the Republicans. Please understand that I mean well by sharing this. So I hope it comes across as intended. You can't say I don't understand, therefore evil without sounding like believers who say I don't understand, therefore God. Um, so 
I, I want to hear your thoughts. I also have thoughts. Um, I do appreciate. And, and thank you, John, for writing in. Yeah, I do appreciate, and I take her criticism to heart. Like it, she's fair. Where I should have corrected myself, I don't want to dismiss Republican voters necessarily because I do agree that a lot of them probably do care about like fiscal conservatism or something. Mm-hmm. Um, my anger is almost never directed at them. Because mm-hmm. they are not trying to hurt people. They genuinely have just different opinions on certain issues. Mm-hmm. And they're wrong about them. Whatever. Everyone, I think, is wrong. And I think I'm right about everything. Join the club. But <laughs> um, I do think it is fair to criticize the Republican Party, by and large, elected officials specifically, because a hell of a lot of them have openly supported awful policy making, awful policies. A hell of a lot of them have not spoken out against their party supporting these policies. Mm -hmm. And even someone like Kinzinger, who we mentioned earlier, Mitt Romney right now, even some of those, like the Lincoln Project Republicans, even a bunch of them have either done bad things in the past, supported problems that led to the situation we're in today, or still, even when Trump was in office, they voted for a bunch of his policies or judges or what have you that took a bad situation and made it worse. And I think like just because you speak out against whatever conspiracy theories right now or like the 11 Republicans who voted to impeach, uh, I'm sorry, to get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday or what have you, like they're still voting for plenty of bad things. It, you know, all that fawning that went on over John McCain after he died because mm-hmm. he is a war hero. Yeah, well, he also selected Sarah Palin to be his running mate, and that should right. be inexcusable. So, like, don't act like these people are all good because they happen to do one or two really importantly good things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that is where my anger is. And yes, if there's hyperbole in saying they're all evil or whatever, so be it. I do not mean to push that onto regular Republican voters who I just happen to think are wrong on certain issues, but that's not evil and that's not a bad thing necessarily. So that's kind of my gut reaction to what she wrote, which I think was fair. Yeah. uh, So I am naturally very defensive, which is something I have worked on honestly throughout just being on this show of like, you know, not, not reflexively being like, no, um, so I have actually sat sat with this for a while. Um, and I have talked to a couple of people who I trust about it. Um, because and, and this is kind of where I landed. I do understand what she's saying, and I do understand that you can have family members whom you love, but have, you know, that disagree with you politically. And I would say 30 years ago, that is a conversation worth having. I think though. I do not think you can say somebody is a quote unquote good, good person, which like, of course that's an arbitrary, like good and evil isn't real. They're conceptual terms that we kind of talk about. I don't believe in evil as a like concept. Evil is a hyperbolic term to say somebody's an asshole, but it's less sweary. Um, I, I, what the one place I do want to push back on her though, is that she said that, um, uh, what did she say? Uh, you can't say I don't understand, therefore evil. Um, without understand, without saying like believers who say I don't understand, uh, therefore God. I don't think that's a fair, a, a fair assessment of things because 
when I say I don't understand Republicans, what I mean is I don't understand why they feel like it's important for them to continually target people who are less privileged, people who are non-white, people who, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just because I don't understand why they do it, I can see their actions. And so it's not, I, I don't understand why they would do this, but I understand that they do do it because they are passing legislation and I can see what they write and I can see what they tweet and I can see what they say. And, uh, and to call them monsters is not to dehumanize them because it's very difficult to dehumanize the group that is running the fucking show. What is dehumanizing is passing laws that constantly are harming people who need the most support. What is dehumanizing is dismissing calls of racism. What is dehumanizing is pretending that their bottom line, whatever profit they're making, is more important than making sure Americans are happy and healthy and safe. And they've done that time and time again. They've, they've chosen their own best interests over the greater good. And I don't know how else to describe that besides genuinely an evil thing. And like, I don't mean evil in a supernatural thing, supernatural way. It to me is a horrible thing that people do to people who cannot help it. So I, and I also want to say that I, I just don't think you get to support the GOP but then, and all of their policies that we know are harming people. We've, we talk about it every week in and, in and out on this show. I do not think you get to say like, yeah, my uncle is a Republican, but he's nice to me. So he's a good guy. And I also don't think that saying somebody has bad intentions is dismissing them out of hand because sometimes people have bad intentions. I, uh, man, I don't know. I just... It feels like your friend who's a little bit racist, but they're not racist to you, so you still like them. Like, that's still a problem. And just because you love them personally because they are your family member or somebody you respect or somebody who has done good things in different ways, I just don't think you get to say, well, yeah, they voted for Trump twice, but I still believe they're a fundamentally good person. Because I think if you are willing to take, like we were talking before, if you are willing to issue all of the issues that we know are important, that people get housing, people have food in their pantries, and are willing to fuck all that shit because you want pro, like, anti-choice judges on the bench, I don't think that makes you a good person. If I, if I, you know, I'm wildly pro-choice, but I'm not going to vote for somebody who is going to harm people as often as possible in the name of saving money or whatever, just because they are going to vote for this one thing that I do believe in. I, I just, I, I have trouble with the idea of like, well, they're racist, but they're nice to me. So they're not quote unquote bad people. I don't think people are one thing or the other. People contain multitudes, but you don't get to say, well, these people are Republicans in 2021 in the Republican Party of Trump. And while well, they're good people, they just X. If you voted for Trump, I do not believe you are a good person. I'm sorry. Maybe that makes me an asshole or maybe that makes me un whatever, like unsympathetic or unempathetic. I don't know how somebody can vote for Trump who has said all these monstrous things and done all these monstrous things and still say, but I'm a good person fundamentally. I just don't, I frankly just don't buy it. I think it's one kind of, of the, 
one of the things we talked about in the past is that voting for Trump, it doesn't mean you're necessarily racist, but it means his racism didn't bother you enough to not vote for him. And ultimately it means the same thing. So exactly. And I want to be very clear, Don, I'm not, you're, I don't think you're, you're necessarily wrong at all. I understand what you're saying. And I do believe that if your Republican relatives listen to this show, we would do very little to, to like persuade them to the left. But I also think just as important as promoting leftist causes that I believe in is saying, Hey, look at what your party is doing and how intrinsically damaging it is. And if you're okay with that, that's on you. You have to be, you, you have to live with yourself. I don't have to live with you. So I don't know. I get it. And I, I just think sometimes shit is more important than worrying about somebody's racist uncle's feelings. That's it. And with that, if you have letters you want to send to us, <laughs> friendly atheist podcast at gmail.com. Uh, ah, you beat me. Uh, I'm at on Twitter at Jess Bloomke, J E S S. And then my last name is B as in boy, L U E M as in Mary K E. Uh, you can also find me on Etsy at Bitches Get Stitched Done. Um, and if you are looking for more of me wildly rambling, my husband and I do a, a Twin Peaks, Peaks podcast. So we are deep into the third season right now, and it's been a whole lot of fun. Episode eight is coming out soon. So everybody get your bongs because it's going to be fucked up. If anyone's seen Twin Peaks, I have no idea what the reference is. It's very funny for the 12 people who listen to this podcast and also know about Twin Peaks. It was a good nice. joke. <laughs> it was so, it was fundamentally solid. Um, we actually, last week, I released on this, wherever you're getting your podcast right now, uh, I released an interview I did with an author, Alice Gretchen. She's an actress and just released a memoir called Wayward. And one of the, I, I don't, I get a lot of books sent to me to like do possible reviews for, and most of them are very bad. This one, uh, I'm not just blowing smoke up her ass or something. It was really good. And it was really compelling because she escaped fundamentalist Christianity and purity culture. And basically imagine coming from like a very Duggar ish lifestyle, not a quiverful thing, but just a very conservative Christian purity culture to become an actress in Hollywood. And how do you, take that leap and how do you what leads to that even the confidence it takes the courage it takes to make that leap is fascinating so check out that interview it's on your feed right now uh through this podcast so uh yeah you can find me at haven't meta on twitter or friendlyatheist.com. if you like the show go to patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast mm-hmm. um smash that subscribe button i don't know what the kids say tell uh, a friend tell a friend yeah. about it yeah or don't I don't care. Just live your life. I hope everybody's doing well. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Do you have a hard out? I want. I have one more thing I wanted to touch on really quickly. Go. Okay. Uh, so I have news. I am getting the vaccine next week. Oh, look at you! And I How- wanted. I wanted to talk about it briefly because I am being who I am, racked with grief, with a uh, with guilt about it. Um, because I, so I, I think I've mentioned it a few times on and off since I was in high school, I've been volunteering for, um, the Hanson center, which is a therapeutic writing, um, association in Burridge in Illinois. Um, and I've been doing it since I was a kid. It's, it's, um, therapeutic horseback riding for mostly kids, but kids and adults with, with special needs. It's really good for them mentally, physically. It's, it's great. And it's something that I'm very passionate about and I've been doing for a long time. 
they are um, under the umbrella of the Ray Graham Association, which is a pretty large um, uh, company that does that basically finds housing and jobs for special needs people. Uh, it's a good organization. It's something I, I love. Um, last week I got an, e- and so I obviously I haven't been going to the barn for the last year because, you know, there's been a global pandemic. Um, and I've been going there every week besides this past year since I moved out to the suburbs. So about almost five years. I got an email saying, hey, we are we have vaccines available to both our riders and our volunteers. Please let us know if you'd like a vaccine. And so I, I emailed back to the woman, Leah, who runs the program, and was just like, I would love it. But I also understand I only volunteer once a week. I haven't been there in a year. If you are, like, saving them for somebody better, I guess, um, by all means. But if if they are available... Um, I would like one. And then yesterday I got an email. I'm scheduled for next Tuesday or Wednesday in Elmhurst. I'm very excited. Excellent. Um, I've immediately started feeling guilty because I have a lot of friends who are teachers and none of them have gotten their vaccines. Uh, And so I am personally dealing with, with some shit about why am I getting this? Am I taking it out of somebody else's arm? But ultimately here are the things I'm trying to remind myself. And I'm hoping I'm, I'm telling you all this because I'm hoping if other people run into this, I can help ease their mind a little bit because I've genuinely lost sleep over it. Um, first of all, the fact that the teachers in my area aren't able to get vaccines is not Jessica's fault. It is the fault of a botched rollout of these vaccines. That's one. Two, if I don't get that particular vaccine, they're not going to fly it over to like Naperville central and put it in my friend's arm. And three, every person who gets the vaccine is ultimately helping everybody else by reducing the ability for it to spread. Um, But it's just something I've thought a lot about because like I was embarrassed to tell my friends who are teachers that I'm getting it because they still can't get it. And it's, I just feel like shit about that. Um, But anyway, I just want to let you guys know that that's happening. So I'm very excited about that. So I don't know. I don't know. Hey, Hammond, where uh, where do bloggers fall on the uh, the vaccine importance? Um, if the first category is one A, uh-huh. we're at one hundred F. Oh, okay, cool, good to know. So maybe yes. in, I don't know, three or four years, we can get together in person again and record that this. Sounds um, awesome. But yeah, so that's no, that's awesome. And, and I agree. If you're if you're not like cutting in line, but you have a chance to get the vaccine, I don't care. Go get it. Yes, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. But don't worry, I'll keep losing sleep about it if anybody, if that makes anybody feel any better. <laughs> um, okay, that's it. That was all I wanted to talk about. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.